Luke 15, 1 to 3 and 11 to 32 are the main verses that we are going to look at today. And it talks about the parable of the prodigal son. And I know each and every one of us, we know about that, the two prodigal sons. People normally call it the, pro, the parable of the prodigal son, but Jesus did not call it so. When the story begins, Jesus himself says, a man had two sons. We read that in verse 11. And the story is a comparison and a contrast of the two brothers. We have sentimentalized this parable because of our almost complete concentration on the middle of the story regarding the younger brother. We imagine that the hearer's eyes welled with tears as they heard how God will always love and welcome us, no matter what we have done. But if we truly come to understand why Jesus told this this parable and what he meant, we will come to see that actually the listeners were offended and furious. For Jesus' purpose here was not to warm hearts, but to explore the normal human categories of how to approach God. He does this by showing us the two kinds of people and thus two kinds of lostness or being lost and running from God, but still just one way home. The two kinds of people. When we read it from the book of Luke, we see that the Pharisees and the teacher of the law, they were complaining about Jesus. But tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to listen and hear what he was saying. These two kinds of people correspond with the two brothers later in the parable. The tax collectors and sinners are like the young brother in the, in the parable. They have engaged in immoral and irreligious world living. They have left the traditional morality of their families. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, however, are like the elder brother in the parable. They have stayed with the tradition of morality of their upbringing. Upbringing. <laughs> they have devoted to study and obeying the word of God. They pray and worship constantly. We see this continuously in the book of Gospels. For example, we know the story of Zacchaeus, which is in Luke 19. We know about the fallen woman. In Luke 7, we know about the racist woman or the Samaritan woman in Luke 4. Remember, 
as we look at this, it is always the younger brother who connects with Jesus and the older brother does not. And this is what I want us to see today. Most times we tend to listen to the gospel and learn a lot from the prodigal son who left his father and went and misused all what he had and came back. Less time do we even talk about the son who remained at home. And today, I want us to have a look at the son who remained at home. To my, uh, according to what I was reading in that chapter, to me, I was thinking, if the chapter didn't talk much about the prodigal son and the story, more about it, after the first eight verses, it would have had a different meaning. But God had a reason, and Jesus had a reason. The last eight verses were, were the reason as to why that chapter or that parable brought a difference and made us to think about it. If it was not for the last eight verses, then the meaning would not be the same. For one, I would say, in those verses, after we read all of them, we get to know about two different grids of people. One, the appropriate people who are called rel relative people, and we have the other ones who are the mor moral people. Most times, we Christians, we like judging, and we always see the prodigal son as the one who had a mistake. But we need to come and realize that the upright people, they see it in a different way. And that's why they see people who are religious as in and the people who are immoral as out. But the relative people, they see free spirits as in and judgmental people as out. And that's how Christians today are. We see those people like judging others as not Christians. The main thing between you and God is not your sins, but your undoubtable good, good works. The gospel is neither simply religion or irreligion. It is neither symbol, morality, or immorality. And so it says, the good are in and the bad are out. And that's why in a conclusion it says, the humble are in and the proud are out. Two kinds of people and two kinds of running. The parable of two prodigal sons shows us that sin is running from God, avoiding, escaping, and saying, I don't need you. 
there's a much more profound concept than breaking rules. This is my view. I heard someone say that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. How could that be? Here is a man who knows that the only way to avoid Jesus as Savior is to avoid sin. If I feel I'm a good person, I may look to Jesus as example, as helper, as strength, but I won't need to utterly rely on him for every breath and obey him unconditionally. If, I'm a good, if I am a good person, then I have rights. Jesus owes it to me to listen to my prayers, to protect me and reward me. This is clearly the attitude of the elder brother. Why is he so hungry with his father? Why is he so hungry with his father? Just after the young brother comes back home after misusing all what he was given. He feels he has the right to tell the father what to do with his robes, rings, and calves because he has been so obedient to his father. The young brother went away to get out from the, under the father's control of his wealth. But the elder brother stayed home. He never disobeyed as he his way to do with the same thing. At heart, they were absolutely the same. Both were trying to escape the authority of the father. They both rescinded his control and rebelled. But one did it by breaking all the father's rule, and the other one did it by keeping them. Now we see why running from God it's a deeper definition of sin than breaking the rules of God. Because you can run from God either by breaking his rules or by keeping them. The difference between a religious person and a true Christian is that a religious person obeys God to control over God. Or religious person obeys God to get control over God and to get things from God. But the Christian obeys just to get God. Religious persons obey to get control over God, to control him, to put him in a position where they think he owes them. Therefore, despite their moral and religious behavior, they are actually attempting to be their own saviors. Christians who now who know they are only saved by grace and can never control God, they obey him and they desire to love and please and draw closer to the one who saved him. In other words, I would like to ask, why do we obey or why do we sin? Until the gospel changes in our hearts, the basic reason for Either is exactly the same. The younger brother and the elder brother had the wealth of the father as their main goal. They wanted his things, but they did not want their father. The younger brother's sins allowed him to get his money and to do all what he wanted to do with it. 
The older brother's righteousness was motivated by the same thing. Thus, their real trust was not in the father, but the things that were their ultimate joy. Their joy and sense of worth resided on these things and not their father. So sins against the father will and good deeds done to get control over the father are both ways to obtain things other than God. They are both ways to become your own savior and lord. Now we can see one more reason why younger brothers are generally more open to the gospel than the elder brothers, according to this parable. Younger brothers have literally run from the father physically and morally. It is easier for them to see their need. Older brothers have not. They are running away from God while they are physically and morally stayed close to their father. See how it is hard for religious people to believe they are running from God, but they are. The gospel does not agree that there are spiritually two types of people in the world, good and bad. Instead, it says there are just two different kinds of people who are running from God. You can run away by breaking rules or by keeping them, but your running is nonetheless. The two kinds of people It would not be difficult to take this text, look in it from the breakdown of the young brother's life, and spend time showing the signs and the remedies of the young brother's lostness. But because there are two kinds of running from God, there are also two sets of lostness and trusts. Mostly, we concentrate here on the elder brother lostness but it is much more dangerous and misunderstood. Today, we see many people in churches are not Christians because they are elder brothers. There are also many Christians who are deeply affected by the elder brother spirit. These are people who still have not grasped the gospel well, who maintain moralistic greed through which they look at themselves and read the Bible. Many Christians base their justification on their sanctification, and that's very touchy, unhappy, and insecure. We need to recognize the marks of the elder brother's lostness, and these are one. Sign of the elder brother's spirit is that he is filled with anger, and that's why we see in verse 28, he became hungry. He became angry. He wanted to control his father. The second spirit is a spirit of joyless, mechanical obedience. He stayed with his father. But in verse 29, what does the, the elder brother tell his father? I have been slaving for you. You can be obedient to your senior just for the sake of controlling him and you be good. Not that you want to be good, but to get a reason 
to hang on to your senior wrongs. Christians are filled with amazement of God by the grace. And so they obey out of delight by pleasing him for his own sake. The third sign of an elder brother is the spirit of coldness to young brother's type. When the young brother came home, the elder brother did not feel happy. He felt a bit cold. He didn't want to talk to his elder, uh, younger brother. He saw him as a lost one. To ask Christian, if you believe you are a senior, oh, if you believe you are a sinner, saved by grace alone, you will not feel superior to anyone else. Not even to cultural or racial groups. You will treat them with respect because you know that your morality has been as sinful and God escaping as their immorality. Second, if you understand the gospel, you will treat others with hope, love, and care. You will never look at anyone and say, here is someone who could never become a Christian because now you know all types of people are equally unlikely to find God. My third point. If you understand the gospel, you will be very courageous in your witness. You will not be bound by what people think about you. Number four. The elder brother had a spirit of lack of assurance because of the father's love. And that's why he asked his father, you never threw a party for me. And yet I've been with you all this time. As long as you try to earn your salvation by controlling God through your goodness, you will never ever be sure you have made it. There is always anxiety and fear and uncertainty in your relationship with God if you want to control him. And that's why we say there is no intimacy in prayer life if you want to control God. There is no joy and there's no closeness. And that's the life the elder brother had. The elder brother had a spirit that today is reflected even in the church. He had a spirit of judging his young brother. He was unforgiving. If you are a Christian and you lack the emotional humility to say, I am not different, you instead look at the sinners and say, I would never do that, then you have the spirit of the elder brother. Second, if you lack the emotional wealth to say, I am so loved and forgiven by my father, what does it matter that I was slighted or wronged by him? You will be like the elder brother. But what does the Bible say in verse 22? The father said to, the, to his servants, Quickly, bring the best robe and put on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. One, 
When the father saw the young brother coming back home, despite all what he had done, he embraced him. Today, child of God, God wants to embrace you. The Bible says, when this man came back home, he was so dirty, he was unworthy, he was not clean, he was not looking good. But the father cleaned him. God has the power to forgive you your sins. And we read this from the book of 1 John 1 verse 9. <coughs> the verse tells us more. He will put a robe on you. What does the robe mean? It means sign of humility. The son realized his mistakes and humbled himself. And that's why he decided to come back home. And God wants us to be humble. He wants us to have the humility, the spirit of humility. And he's ready to accept us if we are going to be humble before him. Put a ring on his finger. Most people normally see rings being worn in weddings. The reason as to why we see this is ring has a, sim a symbol of one. If you look at the ring, it doesn't have a starting or an ending. It is all round. That means endless relationship. It has the power of atony. It is a seal. And so the father renewed the relationship with the son. Although the son had left and done, done all what was not right, and when he came back and he humbled himself, the father accepted him and he decided to put a seal. He gave him an endless love. Today, the Lord wants to renew our relationship with him. He wants us to get into an agreement with him. We might have said we have been with the Lord for all this time doing the best, but we might not have had a commitment of an endless relationship. The last part of it is sandals on his feet, which symbolizes possession. The son had lost everything. But when he, came, when he came home, he was given Santos, which was a symbol of inheritance. God's grace is sufficient to give us Santos. For by grace we are saved. It does not matter what you lost. The grace is there to give you possession once more. We might have been in the church we might have been born in the Christian family, but we might not have the sandals on our feet. The Lord wants us to possess his inheritance through us giving our hearts to him. And the only way we can do that is by having Christ in us, 
First, we need the father to come to us, even as the younger brother did. He went home, despite all what he did. And the father was so happy to see the son coming back home. The, second, the first brother, the elder brother, was still at home. He pretended to be the good brother or the good son, but he was doing all that, pretending to be obeying his father, yet he thought that he's doing that to control his father, only to realize that he had even lost his inheritance. We might have been in the church, we might have been in this world, we might be in the ministry for long, but how is our relationship with the Lord? We must rely on rejoice in what the Father has provided for us. He has given his son, Jesus Christ, to die. And the only way that we can do this is to repent and admit that reason that we did was right, according to us. But we need to put God in all what we plan to do and allow him to be our guider, our protector and our savior. Now, the son got the robe, he got the ring, and he got the sandals. And the same applies to us today. The Lord wants us to have a special relationship with him at the expense of our hearts accepting Jesus as the Son of God, accepting that he is our elder brother, following him, not to control God, not to ask ourselves, why is God allowing this to come to me, but to humble ourselves, repent, and renew our relationship with God. Understanding this truth is essential and will transform us. We will never stop being elder brothers until we rejoice in the work of our true elder brother. May the Lord bless us and may the Lord lead us to live a life that is worthy. God bless you all. Thanks for listening to a Wattle City Church podcast. If you download the Anchor podcast app, and type Wattle City Church into the search engine, you can listen to more and great podcasts from Wattle City Church. Thanks.